try to three questions. So I'm gonna talk about it now. One question so was about vindication of miscarinic antagonist, and so the confusion was between incontinence and um, urinary retention. So here is the explanation. <laughs> an agonist, what does an agonist do?
Yeah. Uh, and I know that email sent out about the Haiti volleyball said deadline to sign up is today, but uh, we're willing to extend that. So if you know friends or you yourself haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. So you know, just do it maybe 48 hours before the actual. Oh, yeah, last week I talked to the Dean Lider and he promised me that he would stop by. Okay, so yeah, before I start, so we have only is it three more lectures or four? <laughs> no, four, I think. Four. Uh, so, you know, not too much time to, you know, before the final. So, I'm really, really encouraging you to do it every day. Uh, today is going to be a lot of information, but you will see those drugs that I'm going to talk about today. It's about cardiovascular hypertension. So today they are indicated for hypertension, but next week when we are gonna talk, uh, when Dr. Chef is gonna come and talk about drug for arrhythmia, you're gonna see that some of those drugs are used for arrhythmia. And then the week after when I'm gonna talk about uh, drug to treat uh, hypercholesteremia and actually to prevent uh, cardiovascular disease in patient who has hypercholesterol, Again, you will see those drugs. And then when we are going to talk about treatment of uh, MI, you are going to see them again. Just make sure that you understand that they are not indicated for one particular disease and how their mechanism of action differs if they are used for the treatment of MI or if they are used for the treatment of hypertension. So don't be afraid today if you see a lot of drug names. Those names, you're going to hear them again and again. Uh, you know, next week. And you'll see we're going to talk about the beta blockers. You already heard about them on week one. So it's just, you know, the continuation. And, uh, but just make sure that you stay on top of your, uh, you know, on, on top of your study because four weeks, you know how fast that's going to go. And Tiffany, she's not here yet, but she's willing to uh, give a review session. The thing, uh, She's not in town the last Friday of class, so she was thinking maybe to do it the week before that, on May 28th. Because I'm thinking probably what you want to hear, it's more about the first week and all the uh, ANS. So maybe she'll post a survey on Moodle and ask you what you want to review and uh, if everybody you know, agree that uh, she has it on uh, the 28th or most of, <laughs> most of you. already have the pathophys of hypertension and I'm gonna just do a brief review of it since you know I really want to get to the the farm of those drugs so um, of course as you know the definition of hypertension is a persistent elevation of the arterial blood pressure there are primary hypertension and secondary hypertension primary is the most important one and uh, as you know there is no cure 
when it's a secondary hypertension that is related from a chronic kidney disease or if it's uh, induced by a drug, in that case, you can treat the cause. But uh, most of the American who has hypertension has primary hypertension. And the guidelines that are used for the detection, the prevention, and the treatment of um, hypertension, you probably know, they are referred as the GNC guidelines, so it's the seventh edition of uh, the seventh report of the Joint National Committee on Detection, Evaluation, and Treatment of High Blood Pressure. Classification, do you know the values? <laughs> Normal values. Um, for the systolic blood pressure, it's less than 120, and the diastolic is less than 80. Prehypertension is between 120 to 139 for the systolic and 80 to 89 for the diastolic. And now stage one, of course, it's higher, 140 to 159 for the systolic blood pressure, and uh, the diastolic is 90 to 99. Secondary, uh, stage two hypertension, of course, is even higher. It's over 160 for the systolic and over 120 for the diastolic. I have listed the, let's see if it works. This is the full report. Um, if you are interested, uh, I think it's, I don't know, like more than 30 pages. So if you want to read it, uh, you have the references. I will, you know, refer to it. But, of course, uh, it's not mandatory to read um, the full report. Uh, now, what are the determinants of elevated, or just the blood pressure in general? What determine the blood pressure? Cardiac output. Peripheral resistance. So the cardiac output, they are determined by the stroke volume and the heart rate. And the peripheral resistance are determined by the vascular structure and the vascular function. So for example, if you have plaques in your vessel, the, um, the size of your vessel is going to be smaller. And of course, the pressure is going to be higher. It's like a hose. When you pinch a hose and then uh, you release it, you have you know, a lot of water that is coming from it. So that's the same thing. Um, regulation. Briefly, what are the three most important uh, systems that control the blood pressure? Kidneys is the last one. Sympathetic is the first one. So the, like the quickest um, system that controls your blood pressure is the autonomic uh, nervous system. So like a rapid change in blood pressure is going to be detected by what is called the baroreceptor that are on the aortic arch and on uh, the sinus of the um, carotid. And so if this change in blood pressure is detected by the uh, baroreceptor, a signal is, is sent to the brainstem and then the brain cell through the autonomic nervous system is going to respond and tell your body what to do. So for example, um, if you have uh, your blood pressure uh, that drops, the response is going to be to increase the heart rate in order to bring it up. And so this we already uh, talked about. So here is the baroreceptor reflex. And so this takes second to minutes because, you know, like when you come from, uh, if you are, are lying down on your bed and just uh, standing up rapidly, most of us, we don't feel dizzy just because of the regulation is really quick. Now, you know, the older you get, the more sensitive you can uh, be to those change of uh, posture. And we'll see that this can affect also, um, like certain drugs, can actually induce those, um, those response um, where you have a reflex tachycardia just because of the drug. And so when the patient change uh, position, they can have uh, also the postural hypotension and you will have to monitor it. Um, now the second system is the RAS, so the renin angiotensin. Um, aldosterone system, have you heard about it in the battlefield? Okay. Yeah. 
This is a response that takes more time. So it takes hours, two days. And so that's why also uh, drugs that are going to be targeting that system are going to take more time to um, make their effect. And um, so how does the RAS uh, increase the blood pressure? As you know, angiotensin II is a potent vasoconstrictor. So it's going to constrict the arterial and the vein. And then also the aldosterone acts on the kidney and promote retention of water. And we'll talk more about this when we talk about the drugs that are acting on that system. So this is just a review. And if you need more information, just read Lenny. Um, like he has a chapter like really going into more detail uh, about it. And as I said, you know, for my question, for my test, I always use the note. But if you need clarification, something that you didn't understand well, just, you know, go back to your, uh, go back to Lenny. But for the test, I'm only asking questions that are in the book, uh, that are in the handout. <laughs> and then, so finally, the, the third um, regulator of the blood pressures uh, are the kidneys, and they are responsible for the long-term uh, control. So it takes day to week um, to adjust the blood pressure. Now, what are the treatment goals? Of course, you want to reduce mortality, and you want to reduce morbidity. So you know if a patient has hypertension, he is more likely at risk to develop other cardiovascular disease. So by treating and monitoring and controlling you know, the blood pressure, you're going to reduce um, the morbidity. And so you're going to select, or actually the prescriber is going to select the drug uh, therapy that is based on evidence that has shown risk of reduction. And so those evidence are based on the GNC7 guideline. And um, if a patient already has uh, comorbid um, and compelling indication, then the target value for those patients are going to be lower. So for example, a patient who has diabetes, the target value, if the patient has diabetes and, blood, and a high blood pressure, the target value uh, for his blood pressure is uh, going to be lower than for most of the patients. So for most of the patients, the target is under 140 to 90. But for patients who has other uh, compelling indication, you want to be lower than that because you know that those compelling indication uh, are more at risk of uh, morbidity in this patient. So again, I have the reference right there for the uh, GNC guideline. Now, the rule is that for a patient, a new patient with, uh, diagnosed with uh, blood pressure, the thiazide um, diuretic are the first-line therapy. And we are going to talk about what are those thiazide uh, diuretic. But this is just uh, <coughs> to, introduce, to introduce the topic. And this is for most patients. So that means uh, somebody who doesn't have any compelling indication was diagnosed for the first time with high blood pressure, that would be the first, that would be the drug of choice. Now, a patient who has a compelling indication, in that case, uh, you want to start with a combination therapy, which is either a thiazide diuretic mm -hmm. and another uh, antihypertensive drug, or two other um, antihypertensive drugs. And also within the um, GNC report, they are talking about the ALAT studies. I don't know if you heard about this, where they were comparing uh, different classes of uh, anti-hypertensive. And from that study, they found that uh, the thiazide diuretic are the first-line uh, therapy in most of the patients. Now, of course, the first thing to do to recommend to the patient is non-pharmacological uh, therapy, lifestyle modification, uh, weight loss, the DASH uh, type diet. I don't know if you heard about the DASH uh, type diet. So um, that's what is recommended. Reduce uh, salt intake, physical activity, and moderation of alcohol intake. This is you know, a rule, if it's a patient with prehypertension, even if it's a healthy patient, you always want to recommend this, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle 
but especially with patients who has you know prehypertension or hypertension, you want to make sure that they follow uh, those um, lifestyle uh, modification. This is a chart. <coughs> So you really have to understand the step therapy. And this is for most of the patient. At the end of uh, my lecture, I will talk about specific uh, step therapy for compelling indication. You don't have to know the table for the compelling indication, but really understand uh, the general uh, rule for uh, the drug therapy for hypertension. So in the initial choice, it's based on is the patient has a compelling indication or not? If it doesn't have any compelling indication, then you want to see which stage the patient is at. If it's a stage one, then thiazide diuretic is the first uh, line of drug. Now, some patient can be allergic to that drug, and then there is alternative for them. So an ACE inhibitor, an ARB, calcium channel blocker, and also depending on the ethnicity, so especially in, here in LA, where we have a, such a diverse uh, population. Some drugs work better. For example, calcium channel blocker were better uh, for African American, and uh, thiazide diuretic and beta blockers uh, work better in uh, Caucasian. So I will have also a table at the end of my lecture with uh, the difference, um, like the, the preferred drug depending on uh, the ethnicity. And then if it's a stage two hypertension, uh, as I said, it's a two-drug combination. Usually, it's a thiazide diuretic with um, an ACE inhibitor. Now, another, for example, another exception to this rule, Dr. Strillo, who worked with homeless patients, for him, it's really difficult to prescribe uh, diuretic to homeless population because they don't have access to restroom. So... Even if they are cheap, they might not be the, the, the first, uh, this first uh, choice for the population with who is working. Now, uh, side of action, very important slide for those who have a visual memory. This is the slide that now you have to put in your restroom with the other one. <laughs> So I mentioned there are three different uh, system places that regulate uh, hypertension. So the kidney, so of course kidney are gonna be a site, uh, a target for the drug. So the diuretic are gonna act directly on the kidney. The RAS system is gonna be another uh, target for drugs. So you have angiotensin converting uh, converting enzyme inhibitors. Uh, those drugs are used for the treatment of hypertension, angiotensin receptor blockers, another class, and then aldosterone receptor antagonists. All those different classes of drugs are acting on the renin angiotensin system. And we are gonna see all of them in detail. But if you understand where those drugs act, it's gonna be easier for you to study them and remember them. So what I'm suggesting you is that <coughs> You make a copy, you know, an additional copy from Moodle, and then you erase all the names, and then after you study, try to put your, you know, like the drugs on, on this chart and see if you can, you know, <coughs> place them on your, to uh, get all the drugs we are going to talk about. Now the vessel, certain drugs can act directly on the vessel, so they are vasodilator and they act directly on the smooth, um, on the smooth muscle. Some other, they bind to the alpha-1 receptor. Again, we go back to week one. So the vascular alpha-1 uh, receptor blockers, they are gonna bind to those alpha-1 receptor that are on the vessel. The heart, we said cardiac output determine the blood pressure. So you have drugs that can regulate the rhythm. And these are your beta blockers, which bind to the beta-1 receptor uh, of the heart. And then drugs that are not the first choice and that are only used for uh, refractory hypertension are gonna be the drugs that are acting um, on the either central nervous system or uh, on the ganglia. So we'll talk also briefly about them because they are not uh, the drug of choice. 
this is another slide just summarize you know everything but on one uh, slide all the different classes now let's start with the diuretic uh, as I said thiazide diuretic are the first line um, of drug for most of the patients and how does the diuretic work they are going to reduce um, or increase, so they reduce the reabsorption of sodium, and so in another word, that means they increase the excretion of sodium. So if they increase the excretion of sodium and they increase the excretion of water, um, that means they are going to reduce the blood volume and they are going to reduce the arterial resistance, and overall the result is going to be lowering the blood pressure. The drug first one, hydrochlorothiazide, so easy to remember, it has thiazide in it, in it, so even if you cannot, you know, really remember the beginning, at least if you see thiazide, you should know that it's a thiazide uh, diuretic. And then uh, chlorothalidone is the other one, it's also known as hygroton. So as I said, they are the most commonly used hyper, uh, anti-hypertensive drug. And they are more effective than the loop diuretic. That is another uh, class of diuretic. And those drugs, you know, uh, education is really important with hypertension. And so it's important to know when the patient has to take the drug. And you want to recommend the patient to take the, the drug in the morning because you want to avoid the patient going to pee three times, a, uh, you know, three times per night. So it's better to um, um, administer it in the morning. Question? When were those drugs introduced? Hmm? When were those drugs introduced? How long have they been around? I don't know, but they've been there for uh, at least 30 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, because when I started, they were already there, and when I started, it was already <laughs> a long time ago, <laughs> not 30 years ago. But the ACE inhibitor, for example, were a new class of drug when I in, in the 90s, and these were already there. Um, so this is where those thiazide um, diuretic, so this is where they are acting. So again, if you are a visual learner, if you see this is your nephron, and if they block the reabsorption of sodium, that means they increase the excretion of sodium. And if they increase the excretion of sodium, they're also attracting the water. And so they are going to have their diuretic effect. So if you can remember how they work, then it's going to make it easier um, for your study. Now the adverse effect, because they are working on the electrolytes, the main adverse effect um, is the electrolyte imbalance. Um, hyponatremia, because they block the resorption of sodium, they can cause hyponatremia. They are also affecting the potassium reabsorption, so they can cause hypokalemia. Uh, this can be minimized by consuming uh, food that are rich in potassium or by giving uh, supplement, like potassium supplement. Hyperuricemia, so do you know uh, what is it, is it related to arthritis goat? Yeah, so patient who had uh, history of uh, arthritis goat, this is something that you have to be careful with. Um, it might not be, uh, has any effect if somebody, you know, is healthy, but patient with a history of uh, gout, then uh, that effect can trigger a new episode uh, of it. Hyperlipidemia, so a patient who has a tendency who has hypercholesterol, that's something also uh, to monitor. Those um, adverse effects are transient and they don't last. It's more something that you can see at the beginning, but they are not going to be um, sustained. Sexual dysfunction, <clears throat> as you will see, most of the drugs for hypertension are actually linked to sexual dysfunction, and it is not known if it's because of the pathology that male has sexual dysfunction or if it's caused by the drug itself. Yeah. Is it both males and females? It's male, essentially. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it's something that is known, and so 
what is not understood yet, if it's whether it's a drug or it's something that is associated with uh, the pathology. Yeah. It's associated with low compliance uh -huh. as well in male patients. Uh -huh. <coughs> when you say well, sexual dysfunction, is it anorgasmia or impotence? Reduced libido. And, um, because of reducing the blood pressure. Yeah, and then, the, yeah, importance too, yeah, yeah. So again, you know, like as a nurse, it's gonna be very important if you see a patient and you're gonna discharge the patient, very important to talk to the patient about, you know, how to monitor the blood pressure, but also, you know, everything that goes with it, you know, and make sure that they are compliant. And I also have a few slides about it. Um, and then lithium toxicity, again, because it affects uh, the electrolyte, and you know, usually lithium can also go through other same channel as the sodium. So you can increase, um, you can have <coughs> increased risk of toxicity with um, the thiazide diuretic. Now the second class of diuretic are the loop diuretic, or also high ceiling diuretic. They produce more diuresis than the thiazides, but they have a shorter duration of action. So which means if they have a shorter duration of action, patient has to take it more frequently, and then you have a higher risk that the patient is not gonna be compliant. Um, so this diuretic, they are um, inhibiting the cotransfer of this pump that is called the sodium potassium chloride Pump, and if you look at this uh, figure, you see that the sodium, the potassium, and the chloride that are transported to this pump, they are following the same direction. So if you block the pump, you block the sodium reabsorption, you block the potassium reabsorption, and you block the chloride reabsorption. And so that means you're gonna increase the water uh, excretion because you increase the sodium excretion by blocking the reabsorption. The drugs, Ferrosamide, it's Lasix, or Bumetanide, Bumex. Always, you know, always giving you the prototype and then one other. Here in that case, you see that they have the same, almost the same um, ending. Again, the dose um, is preferred to administer it in the morning for the same uh, reason. And so, here it's in the loop, where do they, uh, where those loop, why do they, why are they called loop diuretic? Because the pump is located on the loop. And uh, you see they block that pump, so jump out some chloride uh, right there. So thiazide is here, and then loop diuretic is here. Adverse effects, very similar, because they are uh, acting on the electrolyte um, balance, so they are gonna cause uh, electrolyte imbalance. Um, and then hypotension, because they are more potent than the thiazide diuretic, if you are treating hypertension, you can actually cause hypotension. Um, and so that's something also that needs to be monitored, especially at the beginning of the treatment. Uh, this effect is gonna uh, disappear over time, but again, that's something that the patient is gonna be aware of. Um, that's also an adverse effect with the ACE inhibitor, and some patients, they just want to stop their medication because they said, oh, I feel dizzy in the morning when I take my drug, and so they want to stop. But it's important to tell them that the effect is gonna disappear and it's better for them to treat their hypertension than <laughs> being a little, bit, a little bit dizzy in the morning. So, um, and then they are autotoxic too. Um, Potassium sparing diuretic, that's the third class of um, diuretic. They are less potent than the thiazide and the loop. Um, here is their uh, mechanism of action. So you see here you have um, that pump, the sodium, uh, pot uh, sodium potassium ATPase. And here if you have the urine and here if you have the, um, the plasma, you see that when they are functioning, uh, they promote the resorption of sodium and the excretion of potassium. Now those diuretic, they are gonna block that pump. So if you block the pump, 
you block the resorption of sodium, so that means you promote its excretion, but then you block the excretion of potassium, so that means the potassium remain in the blood, and that's why they are called uh, potassium-sparing diuretic, because the potassium remain in the circulation. And instead of causing hypokalemia, in that case, the adverse effects are going to be hyperkalemia. And there are two types of uh, potassium-sparing diuretic. The first one is amyloride, which essentially block the only um, way that drug is acting is by blocking the sodium potassium, ATPase. And now you have the aldosterone antagonist. So if you see here on this figure, you see you also have uh, the aldosterone receptor. When aldosterone binds to its receptor, in, let's say if it's in the absence of, um, so you have aldosterone bind to the receptor and then aldosterone, uh, the activation of the receptor is gonna induce the sodium potassium ATPase. Now if you have um, an aldosterone antagonist, it's gonna block the receptor of aldosterone. So if you block the aldosterone receptor, you block the cascade and you know, ultimately you're gonna block the pump as well. So important to distinguish the amyloride, which only binds to the sodium potassium ATPase pump, and then you have the aldosterone antagonists that are not directly acting on the sodium potassium ATPase pump, but just act one step uh, before. And the most uh, commonly used is alplerinone, also known as Inspron. Again, the dose in the morning, and um, usually they are used in combination with the thiazide because then they can compensate the hypokalemia because they are uh, potassium-sparing uh, diuretics, so a patient who needs more than one drug to uh, monitor his blood pressure, that's something that is uh, prescribed. It's just a combination of the two. Now, adverse effects, because they are potassium-sparing diuretic, uh, they can cause uh, hyperkalemia, and this is all agent, so that means amyloride, and then the aldosterone uh, antagonist. And this is especially true when they are used in combination with other classes, such as the ACE inhibitor and the angiotensin receptor blocker, or potassium supplement, because if you administer more potassium, you are more at risk to develop hyperkalemia with uh, the potassium sparing diuretic. This drug has to be um, avoided in patients with chronic kidney disease and diabetes, because they can worsen uh, the pathology. And then Elplerino, yeah. Oh, just real quick. Would, would people with one kidney also be in that, that category? Uh, with a patient with one kidney, you would not, you know, probably prefer the diuretic for them since they only have one kidney yeah. that is functioning. And in their case, uh, it would be better to give them another class of drugs. Right. So alplerinone, because it's an aldosterone uh, antagonist, do you remember last quarter we talked about aldosterone, which is a mineralocorticosteroid? <laughs> and uh, so it's an antagonist, and I promised you that we were gonna talk about aldosterone antagonist this quarter, so I wasn't lying about it. <laughs> and uh, it can cause gynecomastia uh, in males, so like cimetidine, um, that's another drug that we saw, uh, or actually Dr. Strello talked about for uh, peptic ulcer. Uh, so male might not like this. And then in female, it can cause abnormal uh, vaginal bleeding. So this is a summary about um, diuretic, most extensively used uh, agent for the treatment of hypertension. Relative to ACE inhibitor or beta blockers, um, they are more potent in African-American, obese, elderly patient, and smokers. So these are based on uh, publication, clinical trial, and uh, as a monotherapy, they are effective in 50% of the patient. I don't know if in your clinical rotation you have patients that are on antihypertensive drugs, but you will see when you start, uh, yeah. The only reason why you 
types of diuretics to counteract some of their adverse effects, or do they actually potentiate their? <laughs> no, so they potentiate. If you give two diuretic, it's going to potentiate uh, the effect. The thing, you know, in most patients, if they have stage one hypertension, you're going to start with a diuretic. If they are well controlled with that drug, they don't need to have anything else. But also as they get older and or if they're not compliant, you think that the drug doesn't work and the first thing is to give them more of that agent or then combine with another one. And a patient who has you know, more severe hypertension are usually on more than one drug. Also, you know, if it's a smoker or if it's, uh, you know, the, the older they get also, uh, it's getting more and more difficult to control uh, the blood pressure. And so they can be used with other agents. So they can be used with another diuretic to potentiate their effect, but they can be used with an ACE inhibitor or calcium channel blocker if uh, it's needed. Angiotensin uh, converting enzymes, so they are the ACE inhibitors. So you probably heard about ACE inhibitors. So the full name is angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. And this is uh, the, um, a figure summarizing the effect of the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. So you have the angiotensinogen uh, that is converted by renin. And angiotensin 1 is a vasoconstrictor, but is not as potent as angiotensin 2. So angiotensin 1 is going to be converted into angiotensin 2 by that ACE enzyme. So if you block the ACE enzyme, you're going to block the synthesis of angiotensin 2, which is a potent um, vasoconstrictor. So as you see here, angiotensin 2 can affect the vessel, and so it's a potent vasoconstrictor, but it can also affect the kidney and promote the synthesis of uh, aldosterone. So by promoting the synthesis of aldosterone, you also have an effect on the water retention and the sodium retention. So drugs that are going to block uh, that enzyme are going to block that entire uh, angiotensin II uh, cascade. And the aldosterone inhibitor that we just mentioned, they are going to block uh, also uh, the effect of aldosterone here. Um, now, first um, class of drug that are acting on the RAS are the ACE inhibitor. So as I just mentioned, they block the synthesis of angiotensin II just by inhibiting the conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. But they also um, inhibit the degradation of bradykinin. Um, bradykinin regulates um, also the, uh, the vasodilation. And actually, the adverse effects, so if you heard about the ACE inhibitor adverse effect, the most common one is coughing. And the cough effect is supposed to be related to uh, the bradykinin, um, the, the inhibition of the bradykinin degradation because you have higher level of bradykinin and if you have higher level of bradykinin, so it can affect the lung and induce uh, that cough. So the overall effect by blocking, uh, yeah. So is the cough induced by, if you, have, if you vasodilate, it's more fluid? No, it's just because of the, the level of bradykinin. It doesn't have to do anything. And because there are other drugs that are acting on um, the level of angiotensin 2 and not on bradykinin, and they are not inducing cough. So that's actually an alternative uh, to uh, the ACE inhibitor. Uh, like the angiotensin receptor blocker, they don't have uh, that adverse effect. Yeah. The, uh, the angiotensin receptor blockers, oh. ARBs. Just because um, I was on um, angiotensin 1, and it made me cough every single day, like every single minute. Yeah, the ACE inhibitor, yeah. It was horrible. So they switched me to angiotensin 2. To, the, to an ARB. So you are taking Lozartan or? Actually, actually now I'm taking a, a calcium channel block. Oh, okay. Because it was too expensive. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's, you know, that's the thing. So you can talk to him and it, it might be like a perfect example of how difficult it is to monitor the blood pressure because probably was well uh, under control with the ACE inhibitor, but then it had the adverse effect. So, you know, probably at the beginning they give you cough suppressant, not even. No, I mean, it was definitely under control, but yeah. just... Because sometimes they try with a cough suppression, but it's not gonna, you know, solve the problem. So the best thing to do is to switch to uh, an ARB, and then, but of course they are expensive. So if the insurance doesn't cover it, then it can give you a calcium channel blocker. Yeah. Would you be able to reduce the uh, dose to? Um, but the thing, if you go too low on the dose to avoid the adverse effect, you might not. It might not be effective for the blood pressure control. Yeah. Just a little comment. The coughing side effect will be on your <laughs> and <plexus. laughs> And maybe on the final exam too. <laughs> So those drugs are the Pril drugs. So Captopril was the first one, uh, the prototype, and then you have Lisonipril, Enalapril, Remipril. So every time you see a Pril, you can you know, associate that drug with an ACE, uh, ACE inhibitor. And they're the second line to diuretic for most of the patients. So again, most of the patient, thiazide, but in some cases, you know, uh, thiazide might not be the first choice. But for most of the patients, uh, ACE inhibitor are the second line. And we'll see actually for a patient who has cardiovascular disease uh, like post-MI or post-stroke, this would be the first line for them. But in most of the patient with no other compelling indication, these are the second line. Um, so I talked about it already, the first dose hypotension. I don't know if you experienced <laughs> it at the beginning, Alessandro. First dose hypertension, did you experience that at the beginning of the treatment? Um, actually, no. No? Because um, uh, okay. last year I had some student who told me that their parents were starting the ACE inhibitor and they starting to have complaints about the hypertension and they wanted to stop and it was a post my patient, so I told him, try to convince him <laughs> to stay because the risk versus the benefit those ACE inhibitor are so protective against, um, you know, like the recidive of uh, stroke or MI, that is really important to consult the patient and tell them to hang in there and that the effect is not going to last. Uh, dry cough, 20% of the patient, so Alessandro is one of them. Sometimes, did it occur right away or how long? It no, it started Okay, so some is very quick. Some it can take five years. Some patients might not have it, so it depends really on uh, one uh, patient to another. Hyperkalemia, so uh, this one uh, not really recommended with the potassium sparing um, diuretic. Important to uh, monitor the serum potassium and uh, serum creatinine within four weeks of the initiation or when you increase the dose, when the dose, you know, patients switch to higher dose, yeah. Why is hyperkalemia a risk of this? Uh, because it affects the kidney function as well, so. And then angioedema, do you know all, do you know what angioedema is? <laughs> so that's what it is, so you have it's an uh, inflammatory reaction in, in severe case, so sometimes it can only be, uh, you know, like, on the vessel on the face, like redness, but in the severe case, you have swollen of the tongue, and it can be lethal. So this is rare, but this uh, can be lethal. And actually, earlier this quarter, I was lecturing to the APN class, and one student came to me and she said, oh, I was working in my unit, and we saw a patient, she was, uh, you know, on an ACE inhibitor for five years and she got a surgery and after the surgery she developed angioedema. And so she asked me, do you think that can be because of the surgery? And to my point of view, yes, because you know, during the surgery your body is undergoing a lot of inflammation and maybe just triggered the, the process. They didn't stop the drug right away because they didn't think it was associated to 
uh, the drug, and so the patient had to be hyperventilated. And only after two weeks, because there was no improvement, they stopped the drug, and then the angioedema got better. So rare adverse effect, but that can be fatal, and it's really important um, to know about it. Yeah. The angioedema, so you see, the, it's a tongue. <laughs> it's a swollen tongue, and it's swollen, you know, everything, like, and your throat, so that's why, you know, it can be fatal, because they cannot breathe. Um, so, indication. That's one of the drugs that you're going to see next week, and then, um, or maybe not next week, but the week after. Uh, so it's used for the treatment of hypertension, but it's also used for the treatment of uh, myocardial infarction and then post-MI. So um, there are studies showing that they prevent MI and stroke, or so in patients who already had an MI and a stroke and survived, or patient who has other cardiovascular disease, such as high cholesterol. So these actually prevent the risk of developing uh, an MI and they are used for the treatment of cardiac heart failure. So Zestril, that's one uh, example when it's packa uh, like a package, like you can see it in Belgium here, I think you will see them in a little, uh, you know, yellow vial, so, but anyway. The ACE inhibitor single therapy, the control is achieved in 40 to 50% of the patients. Uh, they can be used in combination, so they can be used in monotherapy or in uh, combination therapy with a diuretic or a calcium channel blocker. And they are more effective in younger Caucasian patients. Yeah? When you do um, combo therapy, is there a higher likelihood for more adverse effects? Like is hypertension more of an issue when you do the diuretic plus the ACE? Yeah, so you would give, you know, again, the combination is reserved for patients who has, you know, a more severe hypertension because of course you know you always have the potentiation effect and that's probably a patient that is not controlled with one drug and so you want to try a second drug so there are some combo you know they only have to take one pill but sometimes you just add on and give him a, give the patient a second pill uh, more effective in younger Caucasian patient and less effective in African-American so should we take a break now Thank you.